Uh, let's do this thing. All right. What do you say you and me take a walk over to the tavern? Let's pull up a chair. A little something to eat. <laughs> Welcome to the Mouse and Castle. Come on, Johnny. What are we waiting for? This is a gathering place for fans of all things Disney. So sit back, chow down, have some sips, and chit-chat about the magical world created by Walt Disney. For too long, I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. <laughs> Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Mouse and Castle podcast. I'm your host, Riley Blanton. So glad you've joined us. And joining me, as always, is Mr. Aaron Goins. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. Welcome back to uh, a world where most of the Disney parks are still closed. Yes, definitely. All, well, still- are, have any of them opened back up? Uh, you know, that's a good point. I don't. Is, I is, guess uh, Shane, I Hong- did. Open back. I, I, up. I feel like I remember reading a headline about Shanghai or Hong Kong opening back up, but well, I know any of the ones that we would go to right now are Eight closed. Side, Paris, I know they're down still. So it's a like and it's a crazy world we live in, and um and we got a lot we we do have a bit a lot of Disney news to talk about. It's not all COVID related, but that's of course still even in the world of Disney the top story. Um, but uh, I I think that the the real question that most of us are wondering selfishly is when are the parks gonna open again like uh all right guys it's uh everyone craves normalcy in a unique way but i think for us uh disney fanatics the parks opening back up there there's going to be that sense of relief that would be one of the signposts yeah the hard part is when they first announced the closings and we were thinking okay you know we can't go in april maybe may But I'll go, you know, I'll go sometime later in the year. Now it's looking like, hmm, I might not be able to go at all this year for the rest yeah. of the year, you know. And that's the because of mm-hmm. what a Disney park is, you know, because they're saying, oh, there may be some stuff opening back up. But because Disney parks, you know, obviously that's where crowds gather. And that's the opposite of what we want right now. Yeah. Is people crowding together. So, mm-hmm. you know, although other things may start to open up, Disney really it doesn't seem like there's a light at the end of the tunnel not really like if you think about it and 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 that's the other kind of context thing i i think it's important to talk about these things in terms of cultural relevance and and disney historically the the parks being open has sort of been it's like the cultural waffle house you know (laughs) the parks never close for hardly anything and of course now they've been closed for more than a month so it's kind of crazy but there's a great article we'll link to it um in the show notes from the motley fool one of my favorite disney resources who knew um <laughs> we we're talking about this before the show kicked off but i find i find the disney business side of thing fascinating and in the midst of this crisis it is like i say absolutely fascinating to see how they're attempting to face this crisis as much as possible um the article is basically will they or won't they reopen the u.s parks in 2020 um so uh, straight to the art the article uh, ubs analyst john hodlick uh downgraded shares of disney on monday shaving his price targets as well as uh profit forecasts for fiscal 2020 and 2021 reeling back expectations from wall streets as it reassesses the pandemic fueled interruption and how the decimated economy will gradually ramp back up to speed 
We're clearly bracing for a prolonged shutdown of the world's most popular theme parks. Disney furloughed 100,000 workers this week. That's kind of the latest like development is they finally furloughed um, 100,000 park workers. Um, this move is basically to preserve cash. Um, it's an estimated that this is going to basically be saving them $500 million a month. But more importantly, it's the kind of movie that a company undertakes if it if it needs some of those employees to slide back into their previous roles in a few weeks. So again, that's the important distinction. It's not it's not it's furloughed, not fired. Now it sucks, and this is what people all across the country are experiencing: um, not receiving your pay sucks. But the idea of furloughing, you still retain some of the benefits, and you retain your access to your job. So it's kind of. It's 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 a dual move, and I think it does point to the whether or not the parks are going to open, Aaron, because I think it shows that Disney is serious about the financial crisis and making a a tough industry leading decision, which is they're furloughing their employees a lot earlier than a lot of other big companies like Time Warner, um, even than Universal. Um, they they they're furloughing sooner, but the idea behind it, I think, that might point to them trying to figure out a game plan for how we set up a, a graduated opening sooner rather than waiting till we can go complete ops normal, reopen all the parks. Because that I think that target dates a lot further down the line, figuring out if they can do a limited capacity admittance, that's, that's going to be an interesting... Uh, and I think that's the direction they're heading. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, definitely a possibility. And you almost wonder kind of what the appeal would be. Like, who's, who is getting attracted to going back to a Disney park if a Disney park can't operate like a Disney park, hmm. right? Like, is yeah. it mainly just the local economies, like the local population that's coming back, you know, those annual pass holders? I, I, cause yeah. I couldn't imagine if you're, especially if you're not someone who goes a lot, if it's something that you're saving up for and you just, you have this one opportunity to go to Disney world, you're not going to want to go when it's in kind mm. of like a half open mode. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and and I don't know. Like I, part of me is like, does that experience become better? Like, is it is it just limited capacity, less crowds? No, because Therefore, I mean, it will definitely be. I could totally see the less crowds and limited capacity as being a thing. But it's also going to be. Imagine when you're at Disney, mm. and when you're standing in lines, when you're look, when you're watching fireworks, when you're at shows, you're never more than six feet six feet apart from anyone. Uh, mm-mm. So imagine how lines, much different. They, just imagine some of those lines, uh, like imagine Space Mountain's line, but like is taped at six foot intervals, like your local grocery store is right now. <laughs> exactly, like you're you're yeah, waiting to get on, you know, flight of passage. It's it's already hard enough, you know, to get on that ride. And now if they're going to limit the capacity of the number of people that can stand in line at any given time, they're going to cap that. Mm. Um, any of these popular rides, so it's going to be even harder. Even if less people are in the park because of the distancing requirements it's still going to be a you know quote unquote crowded experience um because you're yeah. still going to have limited access so for me i'm even thinking about it, someone i go to the parks a lot but i'm like do i really want to go even if they open back up in the fall mm. do i really want to go with my family or do i want to wait maybe until next spring when things are a little bit more back to normal yeah, and that's the question because I I really do think that that's dependent on a vaccine, and that 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 gets into the whole more like geopolitical elements of this. But for the parks, I think that it 
it does point to a a graduated limited reopening and and we currently don't know what that looks like um the one other element to the story that i think is is worth kind of bringing back uh and this came out like about two weeks ago about the last time we recorded it was right as the park the park had just been closed for about maybe two weeks at that point it was still fairly new but i think it's pretty relevant uh, relevant ben smith over at the new york times did this p- uh, piece on bob Iger. The, it, the, it's titled bob Iger thought he was leaving on top now he's fighting for disney's life and he kind of talks about this timeline you know in in december um he announced to executives he's ready to leave in January. That's when the sort of unexpected departure happened. I, I say unexpected. He, he's tried to retire for many years, but he's just been so dang good at buying, you know, giant billion-dollar corporations and uh, making them a part of the Disney family. He's he just kept going. So he finally did announce his retirement, um, and then about fe- February twenty fifth was when they announced that uh, Bob Iger's. Uh, run had, had was over February 25th a lifetime ago Aaron basically is what it feels like but like that's six weeks ago that's seven weeks ago it's not even two months old that that he was like yeah I'm out and so he's he, he kind of took the an executive chairman position stepped back but um here we go the uh, the uh, and I'll just quote the story. The seemingly abrupt uh, announcement prompted intense speculations about the reason for Mr. Iger's exit. Uh, two weeks later, a different question emerged. Had Mr. Iger, with his deep ties to China and legendary timing, seen the coronavirus about to devastate the global realm? Did he know something? Mr. Iger, who has always carefully managed his image, told me by email that there is no more than met the eye. Quote, no surprises, nothing hidden, nothing different or odd to speculate about. Uh, in fact, people, uh, people close to Mr. Iger said the, and the company said in interviews that the real question wasn't whether he saw this crisis coming but whether um, his focus on burnishing his own legacy and assuring a smooth succession may have distracted from it. So essentially was Disney kind of caught off guard because now they've quickly shifted. This is Riley editorializing. I should, I should specify um, into crisis management mode as quickly as, as I think this whole situation hit a lot of us. Uh, and here's the sort of money quote. Uh, Bob Iger is now um, intensely focused on remaking the company that will emerge he believes deeply changed by the crisis. The sketch he has drawn for associate uh, offers is a uh, for his associates offers a glimpse at the post-pandemic future. It's a Disney with fewer employees, leading a new and uncertain business on how to gather people safely for entertainment. It's a matter of great good fortune that he didn't just leave," said Richard Pepler, a former HBO chief. This moment, where people are first and foremost looking for an example of leadership. Has, uh, uh, that has proven itself over an extended period of time, and Bob pers- personifies that. So, um, you know, he sort of had the the pass that he could take, the retirement book, the book deal. He literally had the book deal. He took, he had the book deal, uh, was ready to wash his hands, and then I, I get the sense that Bob Iger just, and seeing him in some of the Disney documentaries on Disney Plus, that this is not a man who was in it for the money. Um, he was in it to he was in it to make the biggest best company that can tell the greatest stories that impact the most people he's a really ambitious guy like I think any kind of rising CEO is but there's a Aaron there's a segment on um, the like a day one day at Disney um, documentary series and 
And it's just like a little five minute short of Bob Iger kind of reflecting on his career. It looked like kind of a farewell video of sorts. But that's kind of what he said. He's like, I just, I love stories and I love um, great storytellers. And that's what we do at Disney. And I think what he, he wants to, in the midst of this, I think, financial crash um, that's hitting Disney at the heart of its core business, theme parks, um, I think this is uh, the, his chance to have, have a hand at remaking that. Um, and I think, and, and let me ask you this, Eric, do you, do you think that that's a, a, a an overly dramatic way to look at it? Do you think that this is appropriate for Disney to sort of be, be ready to redefine them as, a, as maybe a smaller, leaner, meaner company um, that can still preserve their ability to um, tell better stories? I mean, I think the entire, you know, the entire world is going to be is going to look different on the other end of this in the way that we look at travel and yeah. entertainment. And because Disney's so central to travel and entertainment that the face of, you know, how they do things is going to look different. I absolutely think that's true. So, if Disney's going to adapt and be able to continue to be successful through these changes, you know, they like I was saying before, what Disney is is exactly the opposite of what we need right now, mm. you know, as far as, you know, not having these giant crowds of people together. And so they have to change the way that their, their parks look probably. And even though this over time is going to change and maybe we'll get back to some level of normal eventually, I don't think we ever will get back to a hundred percent the way things used to be. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they're already talking about, something, you know, this kind of having a reemergence during the, the winter or if this becomes a seasonal thing, that type of thing. And then there's always more, you know, more things that could happen in the future. So I think just the awareness of these type of these pandemic uh, dangers for the future is going to just change the way that um, any entertainment industry is going to be handling things. So I, I'm, I'm actually nervous about it because I love Disney kind of just how yeah. it is. And so the idea of major change to what the Disney experience is going to be is kind of like, Oh man, like, I don't know that I like that. I, I, I'm having a hard enough time with the pink castle. <laughs> that was our worry before. That was the biggest, that concern. was our biggest concern was there. They were painting the castle pink. Now it's like, Oh, everything's gonna be different. So yeah. That's so true. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be weird. It, it is going to be different and it's going to be strange. I, I'm still optimistic because I, you look at, um, and we're going to talk about this in the next segment. We're going to uh, look at Disneyland and the whole California Adventure project. And and it's really abject failure of a launch uh, that didn't meet the vision at all. And it was, and it cost them a lot of money. And there were some significant mistakes along the way. But they got back to the core of what makes the parks great in terms of innovation. And, and, and that brought that project out of the abyss, essentially. Um, and so I, I really, uh, I'm hopeful that we can see, I think we're going to see some, some California adventures, some, some projects and elements of the Disney parks that, um, die off or go away. But hopefully that means they, they can come back stronger to figure out how they can operate, uh, in this crazy world. So, you know, I, I bring it up. Let's, let's go ahead and talk about it, man. Cause I was texting with you earlier and I was like, Oh, instead of just talking about you know international pandemics and depression, let's actually let's do a, an old school listicle. We don't do enough of them 
here when we first talked about the 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 idea for this show it, we, it was like we should just have some of these nerdy disney conversations and uh aaron i love the topic you suggested why don't you kick us off so one of the things that i learned within the past few years was about disneyland you know i had been going to disney world for a long time and i never mm. had the opportunity to visit disneyland um until recently yep. until the past few years and so having gone out there, it was one of those things where I didn't feel like I was really missing that much because I was thinking, oh, Disneyland, it's just kind of like Magic Kingdom except on the West Coast. And then once I got out there and got to go to the parks, uh, both Disneyland Park and California Adventure, it was like my eyes were open to like, wow, there's just two really cool parks that are out here that I've I've been missing. And so I thought it'd be cool for us to kind of talk about, you know, maybe for listeners that have only ever gone to Disney World, um, is like what why would I want to go to Disneyland? What's what is there to offer that's different than than mm. Disney World? So I thought we could, you know, maybe pick a few of our favorite things that you can only do at Disneyland or California Adventure and not on the East Coast. Nice. I like it. I like it. Uh you've jotted down a few, I've jotted down a few. Um and I think I'll I, I let's let's lead with because this is the first thing that came to mind when you when you texted me, um, is the I'll I'll broadly uh, paint this brush stroke as as the vibe and and a lot of that comes to the crowds and proximity. It's a small the smaller park and the proximity between um, California Adventure and Disneyland um, is leads to a very a, mu- a much more sort of I think intimate atmosphere to the parks. And it seems kind of silly like it does seem in some ways similar to Magic Kingdom, but it just feels different and that's the best way I can d- describe it. How would you describe it? Well, the one of the things that Disney World has it going against it, I guess from a certain perspective is the immense size of it. Yeah. So no matter what park you're in, you know, even if you can hop on a monorail and go over to another park, you're still having to hop on a monorail and go to another park, you know, or you have to jump in your car or take some sort of transportation. The thing that I love about Disneyland, one of the top features for me is the fact that you can literally just walk from the entrance of California Adventure across the way to the entrance of Disneyland. And then Mm. they have the whole shopping complex and stuff with downtown Disney that is, is right there too. So you don't ever have to, you know, kind of, jump in any sort of transportation to just to get over to the other park and it almost feels like one large one large park as opposed to two separate parks that you're having to kind of hop between mm. and it's just yeah. it's to me that's so good because you can be you know unlike other like if i was riding flight of passage and then wanted to go over and and ride a smuggler's run that's a that's a whole deal you know that's you know a, you know, you got to go across Spent to another day. Basically. Right. Yeah. It's not an easy transfer, but if I'm like, like, Oh, it'd be kind of cool to ride, you know, space mountain. Oh, let's go jump over to Incredicoaster. That's in a different park, but you can mm-hmm. just go do that. And that's yeah. one of the advantages to the, to Disneyland. I find on a, on a full day at Disneyland, um, I, I'm usually walking back and forth at least two or three times. Oh yeah. And um, I don't, I don't think I've ever gone to Disneyland um, cause I have been there. I know I said, I've only, I just went for the first time a couple years ago, but I've been a number of times since then. And every time I go, I, I buy the park hopper. But I, and I think that says something like, um, 
uh, uh, the amount that you've started going. I, I started going, I'd been to World a couple times through college. That's the first time I went um, and beyond and did the whole Star Wars Weekends thing. That was my introduction to Disney. Um, and so going out to Disneyland, the first time I went was uh, while I was stationed out in Texas. Um, and so <laughs> that's like halfway. But uh, my sister, who's also military, Bethany, she um, she's stationed in California. So she has the Disneyland annual pass. She loves going to Disney. She uh, she absolutely loves it. So um, I, the, I would find excuses. We found multiple excuses over the last like two or three years for me to get out to Disneyland about as much as I get out to Disney World. That's that's changing now that I'm back towards the East Coast now, but it it really did impress me, and I think much the the same way. And I think that proximity kind of uh, feeds into some of the elements, some of the other elements that you've uh, outlined, Aaron. Actually, especially for California Adventure, let's let's get some highlights from you uh, about California Adventure because I feel like that's still the most unknown, underappreciated Disney park for the average park goer. Right. Yeah. You don't hear a lot of people talking about that park just kind of in general. And most people actually, if you said, you know, if you're just talking to the the regular citizen and not somebody that's very versed in Disney in general, and you said, oh, I went to California Adventure Park today, a lot of people (laughs) wouldn't even associate that to Disney. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have a Disney sound to it. Um, But yeah, so it was definitely it's definitely one of those kind of hidden gems in general. I think Disney people, people that go to the parks have recognized it now as a pretty cool place, but in general it is isn't as well known. But for me, one of the big surprises going there was um Cars Land. Um I really like when Disney does these themed areas. And I know I've brought it up on the podcast before about Cars Land kind of stands out to me as one of these areas that they do they that they did really well. And I'm not even a big fan of the Cars movies, if I'm and being I gonna, honest. I was, was going to ask you, because like, and, and I know, I've known this for a while about you as a, as a big uh, Disney Parks fan, is that you speak, it's for you it's kind of the gold standard of how Disney should do a themed area of a park. What What is it specifically about Cars Land that they do that works so well? I think what really surprised me when I went, went to it for the first time was the the feeling of walking into the movie Mm. and kind of that sense of like when you walk down that street, you look and you Mm. see all the things and all those kind of visual elements that you remembered from the movie. And there's not a lot of areas of Disney that do that, you know? Um, You know, I know they've been doing it more with Pandora and with galaxy's edge, you know, they're starting to add these things. But at the time I had gone to cars land, those things didn't exist. And so it was kind of like, Oh wow. Like I'm, I'm walking into the, this movie and even kind of the characters, the life-size characters that they have, you know, Lightning McQueen or, or uh, Mater, you know, kind of rolling around and it's, it is, it does feel like you're kind of walking into that movie and then, you know, Radiator Springs Racers was a really fun ride, you know, so that kind of, you know, puts a cherry on top, but I, I just really thought they did such a really good job and at night that area looks really cool too. I've, and I still I've not been at night, but I, I I will say the the Radiator Springs backdrop um, that's not that's part of the ride, that's probably what really makes it. Um, that's that's a cool. And also Cars Land was the and I only know this from watching the um, Imagineering documentary. Which Aaron, have you have you finished have you finished? I it? believe yeah, I've watched it all. So as you recall in the episode where they cover Cars Land, that that was I remember that's the first time I ever saw the tech that they use to build a themed area in VR. 
and then literally walk through and kind of run simulations on Crowdflow. And I've noticed that, like the Crowdflow and traffic flow is is really, really well done. Um, they, I love how all of the little shopping areas and stuff are enough off to the side that the main road is preserved for just that through traffic. Right. It's, it's kind of a nerdy detail, but it really like it, it just flows through really nicely. Yeah, I. It's one of the best best areas yeah. in any Disney park. Yeah, and, and we're gonna keep the California Adventure train rolling because I gotta say I'm gonna I want to bring up my now third favorite, one time absolutely top favorite ride uh, at all of Disney. Uh, I'll have you hazard to guess, Aaron. It's probably not hard. Is it? I don't know. What is your favorite ride? Is it Mission Breakout? Ding, 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 ding. Yep, nice. Mission Breakout. Um, before, prior to, um, well, so it, it is my first ride that I went on and like, this is now my favorite Disney ride, easily. And because I always liked the T- Tower of Terror and, and, and Hollywood Studios was always a favorite park of mine. So I have like those nostalgia memories. I love drop rides. I love the thrill. Um, but I specifically just add the rock and roll soundtrack of Guardians of the Galaxy I mean, I like the characters and the theming's cool, but just the adding that element of the music. Um, one, I think it takes sort of the terror element of the ride. It's it's uh, it makes it a true thrill ride, and I think it's it's perfectly executed. I love Breakout, and I, I mentioned it's now my third, so I guess uh, I better obligatory number two, uh, it w- which was my number one that took over was Flight of Passage. But what took over Flight of Passage was Rise, Rise of the Resistance. So those are my current firm top three. I know that's not this segment, but that's kind of where they land right now. Nice, yeah, that's cool. Those are all solid rides. I, I like, I really like Mission Breakout a lot. It's definitely a top ride for me as well. And, and I'm not, I, I didn't, I'm getting, I'm growing to love how, uh, the Tower of Terror a little bit more. I think because it just okay. depends on who you go with. But the last few times I've ridden well, it. Keep- forcing you to go on it. <laughs> right. I get, I get egged and, you know, I get, uh, the peer pressure to, to go yep, on it. Yep. And now I'm starting to enjoy it more than I used to. It used to just freak me out. But the thing I like about mission breakout is it takes that same ride, but it makes it much more fun. Mm. And the, all yeah. the visual elements that are happening as you're dropping and the different, every time you come up, there's like a, a sequence and you know, the humor, it kind of takes away that edge that you kind of feel with Hollywood Tower of Terror because you're like, you know, the whole point of that ride is to kind of freak you out. Um, So I really enjoy what they did with it. I think it takes a really cool ride and makes it even better. Mm, Yeah. So yeah, that one, that one's a favorite as well for me. Nice. Nice. I love it. Um, How about you? Um, So, I mean, I think another thing, if we're just talking about things you can do at California Adventure, or I, I say we're saying California Adventure a lot, but just Disneyland in general. Um, yeah. But we keep talking about California Adventure things because I think that is the most unique area if you're mm. talking about both parks. Because Disneyland, the Disneyland Park, is a lot like Magic Kingdom. There are elements of it that are different, but it definitely is yeah. much more reminiscent. Whereas California Adventure is kind of its own thing. Um, and I, so I think like for someone who's looking for reasons to come out, I would say Pixar pier, that area is another, another thing that's unique to the West coast Disney that, uh, you can only do there. And I think with the, uh, the Incredicoaster, which used to be California screaming, 
um, is is a very unique Disney ride. It's it's kind of that more yeah. classic thrill ride, um, thrill roller coaster that you mm. you see at you know maybe more like a Six Flags park um, than you would typically see at a Disney park, and so that one I would definitely say is a ride I would highly recommend you know, everyone trying to ride at some point, if you're a Disney fan, because it is so unique that there really isn't any, any ride in all of Disney world. That's anything like it. Yeah, that's, that's fair. And, and you are right that we are leaning towards these California adventure things because that's what makes it, um, unique, uh, which, which, which is absolutely fair because I think that's what, even though the sort of vibe is what we led with, that really does, uh, tend to a, I don't know, uh, an, an element that makes it worth a visit, especially if you're somebody like us who are towards the East Coast, then it's definitely more of a trip to get out there. Um, and we're also talking about some of our favorites. And yep. so I think we we tend to, to have some of our favorites in, in the California Adventure Park. But this isn't to say that there's not unique things in the Disneyland Park. They For just sure. don't happen to be my favorites. Like I know that people will... You know, people will say, oh, the Indiana Jones ride, you know, you can only do that on the West Coast. I just don't like that ride. So, oh, oh, I see. I like that one. Did you? Um, But that's that's maybe not as much as the indie show, though, at uh, Hollywood Studios. (laughs) Now that you say it, Um, that's true. And then there's another kind of cool, unique tie in, which I'm going to kind of drop, which I've had the chance to do. I don't I don't know if you have, but there are a lot of um, tie in events that are Disney themed. Um, there's the, the, there's the Disney, uh, uh, concert series with the LA Philharmonics orchestra, uh, and Disney has their own concert hall where they do a lot of live performances. Um, I've never attended one, but there's another element of live performance, uh, whenever, you know, that happens again. <laughs> um, and that's the Hollywood bowl and, uh, the LA Philharmonic, uh, usually a couple times a year will do a Disney film where they do this hybrid live show where the orchestra performs the score the film plays in the background, but for the musical numbers, the film fades away and a live stage cast performs uh, essentially the Broadway number. So I got the chance to see this, uh, the Beauty and the Beast one, uh, and it was amazing. And it's right there in L.A., not far from Disneyland. So it's an advantage to the area that I think I don't know. I don't know of anything like that in Orlando. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I definitely the tie ins. Um, and, and, and then the final one is is. Um, this is more. This is up the coast, so it's a stretch. But I'll I'll toss it in there. California has the advantage of the Walt Disney Family Museum up in San Francisco, uh, right across from the Presidio, um, where Lucasfilm headquarters is, uh, and that's it's amazing. So I, I've also had the chance to do that. So California has a lot. Being the original park and also being the place where the studios are, it has some of those elements that if you were planning a trip out um, to the West Coast. I would definitely say, like, if you if you were able to tie in a, an event at the Hollywood Bowl for one of their live performances of a Disney film, I know they've done Little Mermaid, I think, and uh, there's been a few like that. So um, uh, that would be a great way, I think, of making a big Disney trip that doesn't ne- necessarily have to tie into the parks. Yeah, I've never I've never had the opportunity to go to the Hollywood Bowl or do anything like that. So that'll be something I'll have to add to my. I have somehow been list. there three times i it's an it's incredible experience it's my favorite live venue that i've ever been it's just this really cool natural amphitheater and it's of course california weather and uh they serve wine so you know (laughs) it's like all the best things um yeah well that's cool yeah i'll have to i'll definitely have to check that out um yeah 
I mean, for for the Disney for Disneyland park, some of the differences that like little things that I've noticed mm-hmm. um, is you know the Pirates of the Caribbean ride they you have that on both coasts obviously, but the ride's a little bit different. And a lot of people will say the the West Coast version is actually a little bit more fun. And even Big Thunder Mountain has a little bit of difference to it. So there's like some extra pyrotechnics and stuff in Big Thunder Mountain that I would say, even as a Disney World fan, the Disneyland version is better. Oh, uh, so so there's definitely some differences that among along along with the bigger things that we were mentioning, there's little differences that are worth checking out. Even if you're like, oh, I've already ridden Big Thunder Mountain, or I've already ridden, you know, uh, Pirates. I don't need to go do that to California to do that. You definitely want to check those rides out too, because yeah. you'll definitely notice some differences. Or if you're like a, big, a mega fan that's been to the Florida one many times, don't necessarily just skip it if you're going to the the land park. Um, especially with some of those rides that are hallmarks that may not have as much of a line, that would be pretty pretty sweet. So too. since we talked about everything that we really love about those parks and kind of the things that you have to do if you go out there. Is there maybe one thing that you're kind of like, eh, about that you just absolutely love better at Disney World? Um, I mean, it's nice to reserve fast passes ahead of time. Like, that makes a big difference. Oh, so like that's interesting. Um, the fast pass process at land, of course, is still the, the ticketing system, um, which is more accessible and it's more spontaneous, but I do like the ability... To, to plan. And when I say that, I like the ability to have Aaron when he's going on the trip reserve everybody's Right. Sex. Yeah. I was going to say, since when were you the planner? Um, <laughs> I say, that's me. I do I that. will say that I do like the Max Pass stuff. I like the ability to go and um, book rides kind of on the fly. Yeah. And not have to do everything so far in advance. It gives you the ability to hit some of these bigger rides. Um, whereas, like, if you miss a Fast Pass for you know, flight of passage or some of those, you know, even like mine, you know, seven doors, mine train still, if you don't get that fast pass, you're kind of screwed. Um, but at, at these parks on the West coast with the max pass system, you can't actually book anything until you're in the park. Yeah. And so you actually have the ability to still get some of these premier rides same day. So that is nice. I do like that. I, I don't know that I could say one is better than the other. I like both, you know, in different ways so and it's kind of cool that like it's a different experience depending on which if you're at disney world or if you're disneyland it's not the exact same experience as far as trying to book these premier rides and i kind of like it that way yeah that actually probably is the most significant difference about the experience because that really changes the whole way you approach a day at each of the parks um is that is the booking the fast passes um, because I, and I think a growing percentage over the years. I mean, there was one time where fast passes. It was a newfangled thing. A very small percentage of super fans probably used them. But I feel like that's the norm now. Um, is, oh yeah, is, you book your whole day around it. It's like okay, what three rides did I get? And, you know, and then yeah. you're trying to schedule your you know meals around those times and, yeah. and all of that. So. And while World has, and I think this is a good way to sort of maybe close out the conversation is looking ahead. Uh, World has, of course, all of the Epcot renovations coming up. That's what I'm most excited about there, especially after seeing that sweet, sweet concept uh, exhibit gallery. I don't know what you would call it uh, that we saw at Epcot on the. That was very Epcot. impressive. I don't know that we talked about this. Did but- we? I, no, we. Sh- I mean, little side detour, but um, 
I think it's it's worth taking is that this is for on the bachelor party weekend for the wedding that uh, that was canceled. <laughs> I mean, I still got married, guys. I still got married, but the the wedding part at least was canceled. Um, little fun story, Aaron. That's the last trip outside of the this ten mile radius I've been of my apartment since then. I've been. I've been that's the last trip I'll take. Who knew? Same. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I think so. I mean, we're we're not really supposed to go anywhere. I, I go to the grocery store every once in a while. But yep, I was same. thinking about that um, just to travel in general. I, I travel. I like to travel. I travel sometimes for work. I just love going places. Last year I went, you know, t- trips to Texas, California, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico. Like Jeez. I just love traveling. And that was just all in one year. This year it's like, I know I did get to go to Florida with you guys, you know, at the beginning of the year. But other than that, it's like, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of sad. And then we do have, you know, a, a tentative trip to California in August, but you know, it's looking more and more likely that's not going to happen. But yeah, I know we got, we got sidetracked from the sidetrack, but we were talking about uh, (laughs) us at Epcot when we were at the bachelor trip uh, with William and we did, we went to that cool little kind of preview expo thing with um, they had all the projection lights kind of shining down on that kind of um, it, it wasn't like a true to scale map of what's coming. No, but it was like a um, embellishment or just kind of a cool representation of all the different areas that are coming to Epcot. And um, they had this whole video presentation kind of in a ring around you with this cent- centerpiece that's like a model and yep. that would light up to the different classic, themes. Classic Disney style, by the way, of the, um, the model of the park, very much like the old uh, videos of Walt um, yeah. showing off Epcot. It was so cool. Like it just did, like you were saying, it got me really excited for what's to come um, in all these new areas of the park. I think Epcot's going to be such a really cool place in a few years when they get all this stuff done. So from the from the actual um, description, yeah, it's a centerpiece, a large circular room where guests are surrounded by a 360 degree floor to ceiling screen, which displays a 12 minute film showcasing the past, present, and future of Epcot. And the center of the room is this three-dimensional model of Epcot that continuously changes based on lighting and projections uh, and pop-up appearances from various characters. It is. It's its own little show marketing the future of the, the show. Yeah. And we, I think we kind of went in there as a curiosity uh, and thinking, oh, we'll just kind of go look at it. And we ended up staying for the whole 12-minute video loop. And I think yeah, a little bit no, into was- the next <laughs> just because it was so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because we'd walked in right at the entrance, but I was like, I want to see that intro again. Yeah, um, I remember that it was it was pretty pretty amazing. So the the future of world that really remains Epcot, but the future of land, what the focus is, seems to be um, all on the new Marvel themed area, Avengers Campus. You like how I did that there? As a brought a, brought us back from the detour of the detour. Now we're back, Avengers Campus, which taking a wild uh, a wag here. Wild ass guess. That's not uh, gonna open in July. <laughs> I'm just just guessing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all this construction stuff that's going on across all the parks. Um, you know, because there's some cool stuff coming to other parks other than Epcot as well. You know, even in Disney World with the Tron Tron coaster coming, and that's then true. there's the Guardians ride. Well, the Guardians rides at Epcot, but yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, there. I all these construction things. It's like, okay, what's the plan now? I, I'm. I mean, I'm assuming they're still continuing no, they're not canceling anything but it, yeah. how far out does it put some of these things that were on the on the schedule 
Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But um, Avengers Campus Campus is, you know, that's going to be a huge new area at California Adventure. So once again, another thing that you must go out west if you want to see. You know, I think um, Disney's mindset is along these lines. And, and tell me if you think I'm crazy. But I think they, they don't really want to mess that much with Magic Kingdom or Disneyland. Like those are the centerpieces. Those are what works. Those are the classics. Um, sure, you know, sure they they paint they repainted it, <laughs> the the castle. But but you, you know what I mean. Like I think those are the ones that are the most timeless, and the ones like Epcot, Hollywood Studios, California Adventures. Those are the experiment ones. Those are the ones for the recurring visitors. If you visit Disneyland or Disney World, you know, one time as a family growing up, which is I'm sure plenty of people that you you get a chance to go to Disney one time as a kid. Um, then you probably go to that park, but I think for all of uh, for all of us super fans who uh, want to go back, you know, every year and see different uh, experiences, that's why there's so much focus on these other parks. Yeah, I I think so, and I think although they will, you know, we saw with the addition of Galaxy's Edge at the Disneyland Park that they will add some pretty big things. I think there's still some areas that they're just going to leave kind of at that nostalgia. You know, you're always going to have that main street and you're going to always have the Dumbo ride. And as chintzy as that ride is, it's like iconic, right? Yeah. You know, nobody's going on the Dumbo ride because it's thrilling. They're going on the Dumbo (laughs) ride because it's iconic. And that's, there's so many rides like that at Disneyland park and at magic kingdom that are kind of that, you know, nostalgia you go there because you remember you wrote it as a kid and anytime they do, because sometimes they do, Sometimes they do replace a ride or update a ride to a point where fans do kind of get in a little bit of an uproar. They're like, oh, how dare you? You know, that's something it's that's part of history. World. Right. Yeah. So um, I, mean, I think even the the castle out there at Disneyland is kind of evidence of that, that they've never really updated that and kind of made it, you know, a bigger, more, you know, kind of beautiful impressive castle i remember the first time i went i was like oh that's the castle because i'm so used to same <laughs> magic kingdom's castle which is just you know amazing looking and then you go see the one at disneyland and you're like ah, okay it's tiny yeah. it's interesting um but it's nostalgic for people that went there their whole lives yeah no that's true that's true i can't argue with you man i think um dude i think that's gonna do it another episode of mouse and castle in the can Uh, stay in touch with us between shows. It's super easy to do. You just, uh, well, just follow us on social media. It's at Mouse and Castle for both Twitter and Instagram. Super easy to follow us there. Uh, also, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you prefer to get your podcast. Or if you're listening to us right now, the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast, Stitcher, uh, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. It helps get the word out about the show. Um, you can also subscribe to the Mouse and Castle mailing list. Um, Taking a break from it for a bit, but especially with the uh, the current situation, uh, expect a few uh, new newsletters coming your way. Uh, so you can do that at mouseandcastlepodcast.com. That's also where you can find the show notes for the episode. It's episode thirty four. You'll find links to everything we talked about, including the uh, that motley full article, despairing <laughs> about the Disney parks future, or at least until uh, maybe next year. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, let us know your favorite experiences um and especially if you're a west coast disneyland kind of guy or gal uh email us your favorite unique elements of the parks we can uh, revisit the topic and you can email us 
mouseandcastle at gmail.com. Mr. Aaron Goins, tell the people where they can find you on the internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at avgoins. Sweetness, A.V. Goins. And, uh, and you know, if you follow him there, you'll see some other cool projects like uh, Star Wars Bookworms. Star Wars uh, Bookworms, Bad Wolf Radio. Radio, if you're into Doctor Who, yeah. yeah. It's all there. You can find it uh, at A.V. Goins. You can follow me at the Riley Guy, R-I-L-E-Y, on Twitter, as well as Instagram. Super easy to find me in both of those locations. Often prowling late at night tweeting away when nobody reads it because I'm on night shift schedule. So, you know, my random thoughts on Disney and Star Wars at like 3 o'clock in the morning at the Riley guy. Have a great time. Uh, Until next time, guys. Hey, remember, the original land of magic. And here's to when it reopens. Forgot to mention uh, the Magic Happens Parade. Dang it! I knew we would miss. It. I was a, like, "Oh, you've really hit everything." There's a new That's... new parade at Disneyland Park. That it's called Magic Happens. I and even wrote a little note. I, have you? All right. So uh, this did is. Did you watch the? So they did a live stream of it. Did you see that? No. Uh. Uh-uh. I saw headlines. Yeah, you could tell it was like pre. Well, I, I say live stream. I actually don't think it was live stream. It was a pre- presentation of the parade. Uh, um, it looked very staged in mm. that like the crowd that was there looked a bit staged. They had certain people in certain areas that they wanted the characters to interact with. Um, but it was very, they filmed it in a way that was not just somebody sitting on the side with their cell phone camera. It was like, you know, zoom ins on certain things happening. And it was very theatrical in how they filmed it. Um, but it was a nice peak for someone, you know, like, you know, us who aren't going to have an opportunity to go to Disneyland for a while. Probably. Yeah. And cool. I think it's I probably easy to find on YouTube. I'm assuming that it wasn't just a one-time thing that you can probably no, I just... Think I, I think it is because I, I think I saw some headlines about it as like one of the many things Disney was doing um, as far as posting parks-themed content on right. online. Yeah. But uh, there were some pretty impressive floats um, Some for kind of newer, you know, Coco... Had, cool. had a representation and Moana. Of course, there was Frozen. There's always Frozen. But <laughs> it was it was pretty cool. I was thinking, like, this is, you know, in lieu of being able to actually see it in person, it was it was cool to be able to, to watch it like that. Nice. Uh, you, you have a tag for the show? I also have a tag for the show, a post-credits tag. Thumbs up or down? Well, uh, this or that. Uh, and, and tell me if you haven't seen one of them. But Step Into the Magic Show versus Happily Ever After. Happily Ever After. Ah, mm, step into the magic. I gotta say, it's it's the uh, it's yeah. uh, it's the orange, it's the orange grove, man. Standing in this very spot, Walt Disney envisioned <laughs> not an orange grove, but uh, you know, <laughs> right? So that it's that intro, man. It gets me. All right, uh, all right. Now let me stop the recorder here. I I'm gonna check in with uh, Savannah here because. Well, I'm getting ready. I'm going to go off and do Star Wars Report at, at like 11 oh, wow. uh, with one Chris Taylor. I have a good revisiting how Star Wars conquered the universe. But I say all that to say I stopped for podcast night, but we had just gotten stuck in. We only had one.